0: Welcome to episode 10 of the Progression Health Podcast. I'm here with Adam MacDonald. Adam, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Thanks for having me on, Ross. Um, My name is Adam MacDonald. I'm I'm Irish based in Dublin. Um, I'm a coach. Um, I'm the the owner of a company called healthmastery.co and uh, I'm also a competitive natural bodybuilder.
0: Yeah, Adam is uh, very experienced uh, in the trenches of actually competing and then very knowledgeable as well uh, so the first time I met Adam was at a seminar and I actually thought he should be one of the people giving the talk with the questions he was asking they were so impressive so this guy he's a champion bodybuilder and also very knowledgeable so he's got the best of both worlds um, and you have uh, a degree in nutrition Adam do you want to just tell us a little bit about your, your background um, in terms of like education yeah, and well experience?
1: yeah so I, I started out actually Uh, I originally studied business and French um, in Dublin and then I actually tried to I don't know if if people here know what the leaving cert is but um, I only applied for one course in nutrition which is my first choice which is a dietetics in Trinity College Um, but at the time the points were very very high I think I did quite well I got like 495 points and out of 600 but I think it was like four. 550 or something something really high where you need pretty much all a pluses and i think i was like on average like a minus or whatever whatever how, how weight works now that was a while ago so i ended up doing business and um and french because i thought that a dietitian was the only way to study nutrition i thought studying nutrition that wasn't uh a registered dietitian course like i think there was a course in Zealand there is a course uh was a waste of time and you know there's obviously a problem when you're 18 having to choose what you're going to do and having nobody to really give you any you know uh talk you through any of this stuff other then your parents telling that like well you're not going to really get a job doing that so um yeah long story short i actually went back to college in three years ago i think um same university actually to do a master's degree um kind of got in because I'd done like multiple courses like not like a uh, university courses but you know these different kind of certifications and stuff like that to get me into a master's degree in food diet and health um, and then I transferred um, two years ago or I think she has a, I think it's 2020 actually and um, to a university in London and Saint Mary's and Twickenham and to do sports specific nutrition so that's Technically I'm finished, but I have to submit because of COVID. I haven't been able to submit my um my research because I need to do it. The restrictions in Ireland didn't allow me to finish that. So I have to submit that and then then I'm officially finished. So that's kind of how I came about to where I am. So yeah. Um and then I've done like uh yeah, a lot of other stuff like precision nutrition and level two and you know, I have done a lot of different kind of seminars, but that's from a, a more of a kind of a Uh, institutional education path
0: very good yeah so i like that how you didn't have the uh the undergrad to get into the postgrad but you found a way because you were so passionate about it that's great hopefully you get your coursework submitted as well like actually a master's is hard enough don't mind having to do it during a pandemic like that is so frustrating that uh you have to wait and you know just you know hold
1: off because of restrictions um but yeah it was annoying um the, the reason I actually one of the reasons I switched was because I actually live really close to the, the university where I was doing the food diet and health and um, it was more there's a lot of agricultural stuff in it and food science because of because of the country that I live in but um it was actually done virtually like online um which I did I wanted to do something in person because I, I like as you mentioned ask a lot of questions and then uh, when they do virtual stuff they uh a lot of it's pre-recorded and stuff like that so it you know, wasn't great and then so that's why i went to the one in london and so i'd be flying back over and forth and then of course the pandemic happened so it ended up being virtual anyway so i've only been there like maybe three times and um, even though i was supposed to be there like maybe 10 times but um uh, it's just that stuff happens
0: of course yeah you make the best of it so knowing what you know now would you recommend people in the health and fitness industry do in-person, in, uh, in-person courses whenever they can? Or do you think virtual is like a, an as good option or like a viable option?
1: Uh, oh, well, I guess that really depends. Uh, like It's kind of like, do you, work, do you prefer working in an office or working from home? But I, I like to ask lecturers questions and, and that can be done through a, a virtual medium. But I guess a lot of universities might then just see that as a, a way to kind of scale it and uh, have more students do pre-recorded stuff so it's not like you're not getting that in-person experience that's what I found um with my other one plus you can't really like go up to a, a university lecture after the class and ask them some questions that you didn't want to ask or very specific things which is what I really like to do it's, it's one of the reasons why I'm doing a master's I didn't do it so I could get a job um I'm doing it because I really like to ask questions um I've always been like that um just asking questions about anything um and that's kind of probably why I, I do like This area, because you can, you know, in science you ask questions or you come up with a study, you you ask questions that perhaps haven't been asked or haven't been answered, and then you go and try and find the answers to those. So to to, long story short, I think it just really depends on on what suits the person. Um, I do like in person, but there's obviously the internet obviously opens up a lot of opportunities for people as well. Yeah, so you're definitely very humble
0: to, to realize that you don't know everything and to ask questions. And I think realizing what your strengths and weaknesses are before going into a college course is uh, is essential because then you can decide for example if in-person is the way to go for you as a person or uh, online um hmm. just in terms of getting a college degree do you think it's essential for people who are interested in health and fitness and um working with clients
1: no i don't think so at all um like well it depends what you want to do and how you like if you want to like there's a lot of people who coach now and they're like they go really in-depth and they, they like coach they kind of have like almost like an educational business for a very in-depth educational business as well as coaching well then it's probably required but um but no if you're if you just coaching people um, even if it's like people in like say bodybuilding shows and stuff like that you know, to be honest i don't think most coaches that are actually pretty good actually have a, A degree in that um there's there's actually very little transfer from like say doing sports nutrition into say you know bodybuilding or or body composition i should say because that's not a sport or an exercise really um of course you learn about protein and stuff like that but but nothing it's it's not really a kind of sport so to speak but i think it's more so just like a and this might be the same for any masters, even if it's not necessarily in science, is that it just gives you a bit more of a critical mind and be able to evaluate things uh, better, more so than the knowledge that you actually learn. But if you're, you know, if I think we spoke a little bit about off air. If you're, um, you know, coaching itself is a, is a, is a skill and has to be developed. And I always feel like coaching is similar to like sale, a very good salesperson. Like I think a very good salesperson could sell a lot of things no matter where you just drop them in you okay try and sell this thing same as a coach someone who's coach in boxing could be a very good coach in you know like another sport um you know maybe maybe not a team sport but individual sport you get me so you don't have to be an expert like it's the expertise of that sport or the, the discipline but also then the coaching expertise itself i think it's kind of almost like a, a lost art um but you know really focusing on um and the coaching aspect is, is what's going to ultimately get your clients results. I mean, if you line 10 people up against the wall, you know, none of them are going to know that they need to eat more fruits and vegetables. It's not like, uh, but yet majority of them may not do that. So it's like, uh, you know, I was reading a book earlier today, which I've read before it's called um, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Daniel Kahneman. So there's like, uh, you know, your, your thinking mind and your kind of feeling mind or your like emotional mind and your kind of critical mind. So like, it's about actually trying to get people to to take action and to coach them through that rather than saying like, Oh, you need to eat this, you know, eat this, and that, and this, you know, they're obviously, that's important to an extent, but it's, you don't need to go really in depth um, into kind of the science behind certain things. Most of the time, that's not what people need. It's the, uh, you know, to be able to help, be able to facilitate change and kind of behavior change and habit change and identity and values and all of these things, which are, you know, more so the coaching rather than what you're going to learn in, uh, in a degree. Yeah, for sure. I spoke with a, another trainer recently and he also
0: had a, a postgrad degree and uh, we were both just saying how, you know, we've done like research projects and um, it was a great experience, but like really our careers, I wouldn't say they're like, they're, they're better for it, obviously, but like, you know, it's not like we earned a a bucket load of money more because we did postgrad degrees. But what it did give us is, like, this, like, profound understanding of uh, research. And uh, then also that it's kind of like what you do with it from there is up to you. And then just basically uh, for my own coaching, it gives me, like, a background of uh, evidence-based practice that I can use and interpret the research um, Mm. because there's so much research out there, but it's not all, uh, like, Good quality or it's not all relevant and um especially for clients you could overcomplicate things and start talking about research when you know they just at the end of it at the end of the day they might need to eat more uh sorry uh, eat less and move more but the art of coaching is how you get them to that position so yeah it definitely is a bit of a lost art and you can get kind of lost in the 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 weeds of uh the science and the research um Mm -hmm. So you just touched on the the bodybuilding uh, that you have done. Um, can you talk a little bit about like your experience with bodybuilding and the shows you've done and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I first competed in 2013, uh, which when I was doing my first degree, okay, I think I was in maybe second year of college or something like that. Um, I did a kind of a, a fitness kind of bodybuilding. It was bodybuilding, but like not bodybuilding category. Um, I kind of always liked bodybuilding since I, I used to play basketball uh for Ireland actually under 18 and I kind of got into lifting when I was like 16 just because it's like it's a transition year in Ireland so you have more time and uh you can go to the gym I think when you're 16. So um and then I kind of it's just got good results. I, I liked it. I can't remember why exactly I liked it but uh I stuck to it and I was consistent and, and saw good results because I was consistent. I think I used to go three days a week for about two years. And then um, I just kind of started like looking on google and researching things i actually used to get a lot of my information from forums uh which aren't really that popular anymore but like uh, bodybuilding.com forums muscular development forums um and you know obviously that a lot of that research just, a lot of the that info is just rubbish because just other forum members just telling you you know just telling you stuff um and then yeah i went to a few bodybuilding shows the first pro bodybuilder actually met was Ronnie Coleman who was like the biggest bodybuilder ever I think Uh, well not the biggest but one of the biggest probably the most decorated Mr. Olympia and then I just really I don't know when I when someone that size walks into a room it's just like very I'd say inspiring and awing Um, and then I wouldn't say that's the day that I just like I'm going to do bodybuilding but um, I just it just naturally kind of progressed into I wanted to compete at some stage. I went to France for a year because of my degree and I kind of put on a decent amount of weight, like fat, because I was just like drinking a lot as you do in college and, um, you know, eating and stuff, still lifting, but just, I got pretty heavy. I got like 210 pounds um, at the age of like 21. And uh, I was decently fat, like maybe 26, 27, probably nearly 30% body fat. And then I was like, when I got home that, from that i was just like okay now i'm gonna just start prepping so i lost i hired a coach um it was actually a client of lane norton's and lane norton is somebody i found you know i I found when i think i googled teen bodybuilding and then i found natural bodybuilding because he was writing articles about it i wanted to work with lane norton but i didn't have like two grand um to work with him so um i hired one of his clients actually who was an actual pro bodybuilder as well he doesn't compete anymore he's a he's a chiropractor but um, I did my first show then, so I dieted down for six months, lost like 40 pounds. And, uh, and then from there, I competed again in 2016 in WBFF, which is like a untested um, kind of organization. Again, this is like more like fitness modeling. That was in Ontario, Canada, Toronto. And then, and then I actually decided like, I actually just really want to do natural bodybuilding. Uh, because it's one it's natural like during that WBFF show like a lot of the guys were not natural Um, which is fine it's not a tested show and then I just you know I'd always throughout like natural bodybuilding I never felt like I had the size to do it and then I actually started competing and in, in actually tested natural bodybuilding in 2019 so I did a couple of shows in 2019 um, and then that's pretty much since I've last competed because COVID hit and also you know, need some time to kind of progress. Wow. Yeah. So a very
0: extensive experience. Um, Have you seen the documentary about uh, Ronnie Coleman? And he says, uh, they ask him right now, Ronnie Coleman. So he's kind of like, we'll say he's like, you know, much uh, less than what he was in terms of his physical, you know, uh, stature. He's, he's crippled. He's on crutches pretty much. And uh, he looks like in a pretty sorry state basically. And someone asked him, do you regret anything about your bodybuilding career? Because obviously your health is declining rapidly right now and your life expectancy is, you know, a lot lower. And he goes, the only regret I have is that I didn't do that extra rep on like an 805 or pounds squat, yeah. something, you know, something extremely kind of hardcore and rigid in his mindset. Uh, what do you think of uh, his kind of approach? Do you think it's like, uh, would, would you say, would you be kind of against that kind of like, you know, that hardcore mindset or do you think, you know, the achievements speak for themselves and that's what matters?
1: It's hard to say. I mean, um, like his type of training, did he really need to do sets of three with that amount of weight to achieve the level of muscularity he did that the current research would say no. And he could have done a lot safer. Um, the mindset thing is a bit different. I think did that help push him? I would say d- definitely, but you know, does, does that mean everybody who wants to do their best adopt that mindset? I, I would actually disagree because, um, you know survivorship bias Ronnie Coleman already had the genetics to be number one you know there's probably 90,000 90, I don't know there's a lot of people probably that that have that mindset or took that mindset that are maybe in a similar position to Ronnie Coleman but nobody ever heard of them because they they maybe had the same mindset and the drive but they didn't have the genetics to to get to where Ronnie Coleman is Um, and that's kind of what I say to, to the clients that I work with, even that they compete in bodybuilding is like, um, you know, maybe to get that two extra 2%, yeah, okay, you completely, you know, remove yourself from any social situations. You have the exact same meals every single day. You go to bed at nine o'clock and you wake up early. You train when the gym's empty. You, you know, you completely remove any stressors from that would be associated uh, with yourselves that, that may affect your bodybuilding prep, and that might get you the extra two percent, but it might mean that you're going to place fourth in the local show instead of sixth. And um, we're not talking about somebody here at like uh, you know the WMBF World Championships, and you're going to be second if you don't do these things rather than first. So the impact that that would have is so insignificant in terms of placings, but the impact, the negative impact that it could have on your your life in general and the happiness because like why are you doing this bodybuilding Um, if it's not bringing you happiness or some sort of fulfillment it could be you know quite severe so that's why when i see like uh, often like coaches who do very well and obviously people follow people who do well and that's why they have lots of followers and um, you know again survivorship bias you know when they're showing their life and you know all they do is focus their day around just their bodybuilding prep you know just because they do well and they do that doesn't mean that you should or you know you could or even if you could you should do that because you know you still may not place where they where they are because again genetics is huge component and it's hard to say exactly how much but i've I've definitely heard it from geneticists saying you know dna makes up at least 50 percent of of kind of the results and and things that you get you go nature versus nurture yeah um i think
0: I read a study before where it said if two parents are obese, the, the offspring have a 50% chance of obesity, regardless of like the environment or their upbringing, mm. which is, you know, uh, proves your point there. So we kind of talked a little bit off air about um, how the fitness industry, you know, uh, survivorship bias, you know, it's it's alive and well in the fitness industry. Can you talk a little bit about that for people who mightn't be aware of it? Because I think the general population, take a lot of things in the fitness industry at face value and they say like, oh, this looks good. I'll try this. Or that sounded, you made a convincing argument. I'll go for this, you know? So could you just explain survivorship bias and just things for people to be aware of in the fitness industry?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I probably can't think of the exact definition of it, but basically like um, people who, who do well and are at to the top will often get results in spite of what they do. And you, you don't see the 99% of other people who tried to do the same or follow the same thing that don't achieve those results, um. But you know, in in social media and life, we only ever see extremes. We see extreme negative stuff like the news, and that draws attention, or the extreme positive. So then we, you know, we curate our lives with these two extremes, and then we just feel like they're the norms. So you know, when people see a physique, uh, like it's it's not uncommon when. like i know that my genetics are are, i wouldn't say amazing but definitely definitely favorable for for building muscle but i would get like a a client and i but i've been lifting also for like 14 years or more more about that i'd say um yeah about 14 years and but i would get like a client who a client application that hasn't been lifting for you know, maybe, maybe two years. And they say, well, I don't want to get huge, but I just want to look like uh, kind of like you, like fitness model. <laughs> and I am like, well, you do realize like that photo is like 5% body fat, feel awful. So like 14 years lifting, but like, they just see that that's, oh, well that's kind of like, that's a, an average physique where it's like, no, that's actually above average. Like that's like not, I won natural Mr. Ireland that year. You know, it's like, it's not like a beach physique. Um, so I think, yeah, I think a lot of people, and then obviously you have like yeah, drugs and stuff like that, which people often don't disclose. Um, but again, it's because the cream rises to the top. The best physique exercise you, you don't follow the well most most of the time people don't follow the guy or the girl with average physique that will put out good content and helpful content. You put out the 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 girl or the guy who looks fantastic. You know, small waist, wide shoulders, low body fat percentage, great body fat distribution um and then you think well if they you know if they're doing something uh, and it's working for them then you know that might or that must work for me or that's the best approach for me um and i I, yeah like that's probably the same in, in everything you know um you don't you don't see the people who fall away you only see the people who who remain and then you just assume you attribute their success to what they've done to get there where people may have got there in spite of, of what they've done. Kind of like we said with the professional bodybuilders, Phil Heath, um, like I was interested in basketball when I was younger, obviously he could play basketball. He actually started back recently again, but like when he was, uh, you know, in his early twenties in university playing division one basketball, he was way bigger than I am now. And i you know, he would be natural then because NCAA it's tested um, he didn't even really lift weights so why would he you know take any anabolics anyway um but he looked way bigger than than i actually do now even though i've been trying to be as big as i possibly can so you know he was gonna rise to the top in spite of what he'd done not because the arm workout that you see in flex magazine to get his arms that big
0: yeah it's like the winner's right history so they can kind of almost you know tell you whatever they want oh i woke up at 5am and I had my, uh, Rocky style, you know, raw eggs or something. It's like, uh, you were always going to be the best. Um, and yeah, yeah. It reminds me actually, I think people say that Kai green was the best natural bodybuilder of all time. Like his physique was unbelievable. Mm. So, uh, if you, if you see like, that's the best example, I think of genetics, like, you know, obviously he worked really hard as well. It's not to discount that, but like he was always going to be unbelievable. Um, and it just, Makes me think so you're talking about basketball. I'm like a huge NBA fan. Um, have you heard of the the Dublin born, but he's American based basketball player, Aidan Harris? He's out here. He's in college now. Yeah. Have you seen uh, his yeah. physique?
1: I've seen. Yeah, I've seen what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So he's a basketball player. But if he turned yeah. his hand to natural bodybuilding, is it fair to say he would be very successful?
1: Well, he's like six foot 11. So it you heard to say. <laughs> Because, you know, his legs are probably extremely difficult to fill out. But I think in terms of muscle building, he, yeah, when, when you look at somebody like I, I, he's, I think he originates from, I think it might be Nigeria or something. Um, but, you know, those like African genetics, um, where it's like a, a lot of the top bodybuilders are from African descent. And so for some reason, their muscle insertions, like how their muscles insert at one end and the other, they just, uh, looks bigger. Whereas like, you know, they would be the same weight, but they're actually, the way their muscles look, it's just kind of a, like more like clouds almost. So they've got like big and full muscle bellies. So yeah, I think like he, he looks like he has huge shoulders and people probably ask him like, what do you do for your shoulders? And he probably just does like shoulder presses once every two weeks and plays basketball, you know? And um, so that's like, it, that is like a good example. Um, but I think it's, it's probably like a, people who are at the top of sport, in any, in a lot of sports, I should say, especially like kind of high intensity sports, they they will have the best physique genetically. They will be inclined to be good at a lot of sports. Again, this kind of like the survivorship bias. Like, yeah, there was somebody who was very good, skillfully at basketball, but they didn't have the physique, or they were slightly over fat, um, or they just genetically couldn't perform well or low body fat that so they weren't as fast and they fell away, or they were a Division One basketball player, but. Had to play in Europe and not the NBA, so it's kind of like an accumulation of all the different, you know, if you think about different pillars like physical dimensions and genetics, skills, uh, you know, talent and uh, connections, and all of these things that those who have the to top it all of them are the only ones who make it. And again, that's survivorship bias rather than saying, Well, he he you know, he went out and Kobe Bryant shot. Ten thousand or a thousand shots a day. So, like, if I shoot a thousand shots a day, I'm going to be, uh, you know, a shooting guard in the LA Lakers. You don't realize, like, Kobe Bryant's like six foot seven. You know, he, you know, he's got like physical specimen, um, and then obviously like very skillful as well. Uh, it's hard to say, like, in these kind of skill sports, like how much does actual talent play a role because it's uh, it's skill based, but it definitely, it definitely would I guess. For sure, yeah, sure. Colby's dad was in the nba or if not a professional basketball player so Mm -hmm. like
0: he had that in his favor um and then going back to uh, aiden harris i saw one of his meals he posted and he goes eating better so not to throw shade at this guy because he's like you know he's working very hard he's doing amazing but his his version of eating better was like a steak and mac and cheese and like a little bit of vegetables so it's like that's one meal i'm not like trying to you know pick on it but it's kind of like these people with better genetics they are fortunate that they can uh they have more wiggle room to do whatever they want you know they've almost more potential with physique based uh, sports and
1: stuff like that um yeah just- well, it's it's actually something i asked alberto nunez like a couple of years ago you mentioned that it may have actually been on the bodybuilding forums like maybe could have been maybe 11 maybe 10 years ago or maybe a little bit less but uh, those always seem to be this the natural bodybuilders were more interested in in the science and um, even if they weren't necessarily always right, they were trying to understand the science a bit more, and the likes of 3DMGA, um, more so than the guys who are say uh, on the enhanced side. So like on, on the muscular development forums, you'd, you know the guys they don't really care that much about the science, but yet you had, uh, Lane Norton and Alberto Nunez and Eric Helms and all these always kind of talking about the science parts and you know how, how insulin may affect muscle protein breakdown and these kind of things and do looking somewhat at the rat research where it's completely disregarded with the other side of things. And, and I asked Alberto, why does he think that the natural bodybuilders kind of focus more on the science And He, he kind of says, because, well, they, they really need to squeeze out the last few percentages to try and maximize their physique because you're never going to be massive. So you're trying to, you're, you're never going to grow 20 pounds in a year. So you're trying to see, you know, what can you do to try and get this last percent whereas you see the guys who and and, I, and they're guys they're natural guys who are you know were at the time top in the natural game uh, natural pros and you but you see the guys at the olympia stage you know they will you know, even the guy who won the the classic chris Bumpstead, like what, what did he put on like 15 pounds of muscle in a year like you know it's you know obviously genetics um obviously their training and everything and work very hard but like then you have drugs and stuff like that as well, which, you know, they play a significant role. Um, like these things, it's just not as important for them. And then when you think about other, other sports that maybe aren't like physique based, um, body composition based, like in basketball, like, maybe spending more time working on your three pointer is going to get you better results than actually trying to take your nutrition from 80% to 95% if that makes sense. So there's so many different moving parts whereas I like you said I was speaking to a um an Olympian from team GB two Olympians in summertime that w- were on the track and field team and uh they said they don't focus on the nutrition at all and they don't get any nutrition advice and they didn't think it was important and uh obviously it is important and they probably could place better but they get really good results in spite of what they do. Um so I think with something like basketball like even like the team that i play was uh, there's like a semi-pro team and offered them some support for for free like just uh nutritional advice and you know there's there's things that they could focus on a lot more to be better basketball players than you know their nutrition because nutrition is important but it, it plays a piece of a bigger puzzle so like if somebody's like 25 pounds overweight you know losing a bit of weight first rather than trying to maximize your nutrition probably have a A bigger impact but not to say you can't do all at the same time but i think like you said these guys are going to do well um in spite of what they do but but the guys who are at the very very top i think and who do do actually realize their full potential like if you probably look at kobe bryant he probably did eat very very well like he might have had a personal chef or something like that but you know he wasn't probably eating mac and cheese he was probably eating well probably didn't really drink much if at all um but, yeah, there's guys who are going to, you know, they, they there may be other parts of their game or or whatever it is that, th- th- you know, it might not take them from, from where they are now to much better, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, I know I heard a story about how the dietitian, I think it was, for the L.A. Lakers had to, like, lock up Dwight Howard's cupboards because he had, like, an addiction to candy. And this is Dwight Howard, right? So if you don't know who Dwight Howard is, he's probably – the most athletic specimen of a basketball player you'll ever see and this guy was just eating candy he had almost like an addiction and um he didn't potentially make the the peak of his uh ability maybe because of that you could say whereas for example ronaldo or lebron they took all the boxes and um in terms of nutrition and hard work and stuff and maybe that's why they have such long uh, careers um but something that was interesting you brought up is, is alcohol so I recently uh, trained my coach um, and he looks, you know, so healthy and so young and he didn't drink at all for his life. He, he competed in national bodybuilding and he bumped into another coach um, and uh, bodybuilder and it just looked like they didn't drink. And I was just thinking about like, how much of an effect does alcohol have on, on health? And do you like, what's your kind of uh, approach to like alcohol and what's your take on it in terms of like, can people uh, compete or can they uh know, maximize fat loss and stuff like that while also drinking i know uh, like some people do it but what's your i guess what's your opinion or approach to
1: it yeah i mean well i think uh like you need to separate the bodybuilding prep from like sustainable fat loss i think so like i would often get people who've never had a successful fat loss phase and say i want to do a bodybuilding prep and then just stay lean at the end it's like you know the people who do bodybuilding preps uh, if you've never done it before, and this isn't some sort of self-aggrandizement, but it's really, really hard because it's an incessant thing that's over your head all the time, where it's like you're hungry, tired, like 24/7. So it's just like a, similar to like an ultra marathon or something. It's not like difficult all at once, but but spread out is just really hard. So um, people who do preps have kind of these baseline habits of, of of nutrition. They they know that they don't go out and just eat a cake and then realize they've only got 400 calories left and it's one o'clock in the day. Like they, they have general good nutritional habits and want to push it. So for a bodybuilding prep, it's an extreme, you know, it's, it's, it's getting your body fat to as low as you possibly can. And it negatively impacts your health towards the end. Um, to an extent and, you know, drinking alcohol is basically a quote unquote, like, uh, um, empty calories. It's pretty much no nutritional value in it at all. um, and uh, uh, when you're getting very lean, your calories will get so low that you, you won't want to use, so to speak, those calories on alcohol. And um, I do drink myself alcohol. I like to drink it. I don't drink too frequently. I try not to drink too much either, just because I, I really don't like hangovers. Um, but I, I used to drink when I was younger quite a bit, like most people probably in college and stuff like that. But when I was doing my last prep, I think I, I had a drink, uh, or i got like had a couple of drinks like a few about eight weeks before my first show now i competed in july and then september and november after that i didn't really drink and um, calories are just low i didn't want to go out and use up a lot of calories to drink some alcohol and maybe you know might have had one drink after each show like i think after one of the shows i had some whiskey or something like that like a glass or two but but yeah, in general, I think it doesn't necessarily impact like muscle protein synthesis that much. Um, I haven't really looked too much into it. I know there is some research. It's very hard, obviously, to pass like an ethics board and get people drunk and see if it affects them. But I think that the main thing that I noticed with 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 people in general is just like they obviously there's a lot of calories in, in alcohol. You can manage that by having lower calorie options. But it's the food that they'll consume. It's the they're not gonna affect the day after where they'll they'll be lazy. They won't. They won't exercise as much, and they won't move as much. They they often order like junk food, and then they often won't train. And if you drink enough, it's gonna impact you for like a couple of days, and it'll affect your training. If you're doing that every week or every other week, then you know you've got a couple of days that you're you know you're probably in a calorie maintenance or perhaps even a surplus. And the problem with that in a fat loss phase is that you feel like you're working hard because you could be working hard for like five days a week, and if you're drinking at the weekend, you're not eating much, but you're drinking quite a bit like some pints or whatever you want to call it and um, then you 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 may not actually get any of the benefits of feeling like you're working hard but you're still working hard so you're in this constant state of okay i'm working hard because you know for five days you are but yet you're not getting the results and um, because you've got those two other days where you're not you know you're in maintenance so you're better off if you have periods where you're gonna know you're gonna be drinking you're better off almost not trying to to go through a fat loss phase or else severely, um, pulling back your expectations. So we talked a little bit about like bodybuilding prep. I was planning to, I I would like to do a bodybuilding prep again next year, but I know that I'm going to like seven weddings or something like that. Um, plus like some bachelor parties, stag parties with my my friends, three or four of them are abroad. I know I'm going to be drinking a bit. Like I'm not going to go crazy, but I know I'm going to be drinking. I'm not going to be weighing my food. Like, so I probably would be like, well, I'm not going to prep next year because it's I, I just can't because unless I severely want to restrict myself, um, you know, I'm a, I'm knowing not going to be a deficit on these days. My sleep isn't going to be great. The subsequent training when I get home that week isn't going to be great. And if this is one every month, you know, it's uh, you know, it's not insignificant. It'd be fine for a general fat loss phase, but when you want to do a prep like that's that would severely hamper. it on the other side of things I, I have i did read before many years ago somebody saying like um you know i, I wouldn't want to uh, i i wouldn't drink uh, at all because it may impact my training the next day and you know that adds up to 52 training days a year um you know that i guess, I guess it really depends on your values if you if you value your health but you also if, if social um you know if, if social Kind of parties and life is is very important to value to you. Then that's that's fine. I I have worked with clients who basically just travel all the time and and just go to parties and stuff like that. And as part of their life, they're in that kind of party. That's their job, like in the kind of party scene. That's fine. It's not like a a character flaw or a judgment. It just depends on on what you value. Some people don't like to drink at all. You know, if you didn't like to go out or party and you just purely focus on like bodybuilding. I personally would say that's kind of bore, a little bit boring, but that's just what I do. So um, for me, I try to kind of balance the both. When I do get into prep phase, I know that I can't really go out as much as I, as I would like or to drink as much. I can't go and have like four pints or something like that. Like if I was going, like I like football as well, like soccer. I'm not sure if you're American listeners, but I go to the Ireland games and I'm going to the uh, one against Portugal in two weeks or something like that. And I went to the last one. And like, I would have like three or four points, maybe like two before, maybe two after. Um, and that would be kind of it. But yet, if if I was doing a prep, I couldn't do that because that would be 800 calories of a, say a 2200 calorie diet. It just wouldn't be feasible or, or it, technically it would, but I wouldn't want to take that many calories and take it away from my carbs or whatever, because being a deficit. So it's all about kind of trade-offs. I definitely think you can drink, but you need to kind of set your expectations um a little bit lower maybe you're not going to get uh you're not going to have the physique of a champion natural bodybuilder if you're following the lifestyle of somebody who goes out and drinks you know fairly frequently that's just the the way kind of crumbles
0: yeah exactly it's um it's understanding the the consequences of of you know what you do um and being realistic as you say as well which is very important so i think just thinking about like what your goal is if you have a goal and then thinking how alcohol ties in with that is very useful because it can run into problems down the line, as you say, where you are working hard five days, two days, uh you you might be drinking, and then you're not getting the results you want, and you're kind of, you know, you're a bit confused as to why that's happening. Um, and that no. could easily happen. So um following on from that, um, on the on the flip side of it. So one of your uh your podcasts you had with Jeff Alberts and you talked about uh yes. you know a lot of people are trying to build muscle that's like I know uh, it's it, uh, fat loss is probably more common with clients, but you know, people do want to build muscle as well. It's very important. Can you talk a little bit about like the fact that you do have to gain a little bit of body fat when you're trying to build muscle typically, um, and how to kind of navigate that mentally challenging scenario.
1: Yeah. I think it's kind of an area of contention. Um, like, do you need to actually be in a calorie surplus to gain, to gain muscle because it's not like an on off switch. Um, but it probably is beneficial to gain, especially if you're skinny. Like if you're, if you're skinny, you're not going to gain 50 pounds of muscle by, you know, by staying the same weight, you have to gain 50 pounds. Um, but when, but I think it's really about finding where you perform and feel best. Um, the way I kind of, I don't know where I heard this, but many, many years ago, I heard this and I, I, it kind of really resonated with me was that if you think about when you were like 14 years old or 15, before you ever started messing with dieting or body weight and think about like, what, what was your body composition? Obviously you were not going to be very muscular, but like, what was your body fat? Were you like rake thin and had like, like very skinny or were you kind of chubby? I think that's probably for a lot of people going to be the body composition that you're actually going to feel the best at in terms of hormonally, obviously environment will impact that quite a lot. If you live in like some Southern States in the U S families are going to be eating chicken buckets. That's going to impact that a lot. Or if you're from maybe a lower socioeconomic class, often obesity is higher and things like that. But I think that's probably a good heuristic to have. So if you're very, very skinny and very lean, you can probably do well at kind of staying relatively lean. But if you weren't like I wasn't overly, overly fat, but I wasn't very lean either. So for me, maybe like over 15% body fat, you know, is where I actually really feel and perform well. And at that point, you know, there's definitely research showing that, you know, when you're lowering body fat, or when you're, you know, dieting for diet, competition, your you know, testosterone is suppressed, cortisol is increased, you know, basically all the the hormones and things that you don't want to be low are low and the things that you want to be high aren't high so you, you basically are a lot healthier when you're at that kind of body fat set point range so that's that's often not a um a body fat that you're gonna necessarily be comfortable looking at in the mirror and um, again comes back to the, what we talked about the survivorship bias you know if you're following just like a uh, gymshark athletes who are you know, 7% body fat year-round you're gonna feel you're not great, or you're gonna feel almost inferior if you're, you know, even a few percent higher than that because you're not at their standard. But for most people, you know, you're probably going to function, perform in the gym, sleep better, better relationship with food, at a higher body fat percentage. So I think you got to keep the goal the goal. So if your goal is to stay lean, um, and and you you want to stay lean and be lean, that's fine, but that comes with a price that you, you may not gain as, as much muscle as fast as you possibly could. If your goal is like, say to do a bodybuilding show and you want to improve between your seasons, then you need to make sure that you're maximizing your, your hormones, your anabolic hormones, maximizing your sleep, which ties in with that, of course. And then you're maximizing your training performance. And that might come with a body fat or for most likely come with a body fat that you are not too happy looking uh in the mirror um but the goal is to get on stage with more muscle or to get on the beach with more muscle it's not to stay lean for two years um and you know I, i've worked with people who who want to stay lean all the time but yet to have the goal of getting more muscle and then you know six months later a year later they haven't really changed much because they just want to stay lean the whole time and then they're not really that happy but you, you, that's the thing you got to keep the goal the goal, and um and yeah, it's not easy to do. It's, it definitely comes with time. It's, it's a lot more pressure, I think. And when you're younger, you feel it a bit more. I definitely, when I was like 20, 21, and I think that's maybe one of the, some of the reasons why I actually did the fitness modeling rather than the bodybuilding, because it's more like mainstream, you know, it's, uh, it's more like, you know, it's, it's more socially accepted. And, and uh, it's like a, uh, it's almost gets you more kind of social, social points, uh, or has you know gets your influencer numbers up or whatever it is. More likes, people like the kind of the fitness model look, whereas people don't really like. It's kind of weird when you're getting in kind of a tong and you've got like uh, glute stirations um, you know, and lines in your ass and stuff like that. That's not so much so socially accepted. So it's def- it definitely uh, as you mature, you, you it, that begets easier. But I think the most important thing is to keep the goal of the goal and realize that, you know, most people will perform, um, at a body fat percentage. It's not necessarily going to be one that you're, you're too happy with. But, um, if you, if you focus on like with, 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 clients that I work with and in myself is, is, is not to focus too much on how you look all the time in the off season, but how you're performing, how are you sleeping, how your energy levels? These are the, the foundations that are going to change your physique
0: yeah that's something i noticed before where uh when i was uh in a a mass gaining phase as you call it uh my performance in the gym was much better and that's so motivational and like so much more fun and enjoyable for your training when you're hitting like new numbers and um i guess your energy levels are better as well and you can kind of just have a bit more flexibility because you have extra uh, calories to play with so um yeah, I think definitely not checking your physique as much when you're in a, a surplus is definitely a very important piece of advice. Um, so then just another podcast you had was about like, is bodybuilding healthy? And you talked a little bit about comparison and, you know, it's a very, uh, I don't know, judgmental maybe or like subjective type of sport is, is one way to describe it. Um, what's your opinion on is it healthy? And um, I assume you're going to say, you know, it depends, obviously, but um, as a whole,
1: what, what, do, what do you think? I think, yes. So, I mean, bodybuilding, recreationally, you know, lifting weights um, focusing a bit more on your diet, especially in a kind of a, a world where at least in Western society, people are obesity devils are going crazy and, um, you know, people are living longer as well. So people are getting fatter, but or heavier, but also people are living longer because of medicine advances, but then that's becoming a burden more so in the healthcare system and obviously sarcopenia comes with age um so you know having more muscle i think it's when you're two standard deviations below below average that's considered sarcopenia so um you know building muscle having some sort of foundational knowledge of of what protein is and what carbs are and what calories are which i i I think a lot of people don't really know that they've heard it i think a lot of people won't be aware of course we, we mentioned that, uh, you know, uh, intellect is not necessarily, doesn't necessarily drive um, behavior, but at least having that awareness is, is definitely helpful. Um, but I think from like competitive bodybuilding, like in terms of the untested bodybuilding, I don't think that's healthy. Uh, yeah, is being 270 pounds as a bodybuilder healthier than being 270 pounds as an obese person? Probably but I do think that both of them put a lot of pressure on your, on your heart. Um, and then of, of course, like what do you have to do to get to that 270 um, pounds? You know, what sort of anabolics do you have to push? How, how does that affect your, your heart? Um, and there is definitely um, research on how that affects like uh, the growth of like the the left ventricle, I think, um, and cholesterol levels and everything like that. And, and yeah, but that's kind of obvious that it's not too healthy to be taken, Uh, you know uh, drugs that are for animals often and then when it comes to natural bodybuilding I think it's definitely uh, definitely healthier the question that I kind of ask and obviously this hasn't really been looked at in research because it's such a niche population but I think gaining weight in general probably isn't the healthiest thing you can do because you will gain some fat but I think if you're still active um, you know you're not gaining weight extremely fast and, and most people aren't gaining ton of weight and, and often they're losing it at least they try and make that lean lean mass or muscle mass i, I don't think it's the the least healthiest thing can, or yeah the least healthiest thing you can do but there's definitely healthier things i think like you know uh, keeping your body weight stable and doing a bit more aerobic activity is probably healthier but to what degree probably not a huge amount i think again you don't want to be in a huge surplus and eating tons of sugar. I think, you know, it can affect like postprandial trig- triglyceride levels. That's usually though, long-term thing that happens when someone's eating a lot of food for a very long time, like years and is overweight. So again, it's very hard to say in the context of someone who's training weights, who's active, maybe, you know, go through these bu- bulking, cutting phases but I, I, I do think in general, it's probably healthy. Like I said, not the healthiest thing. It's probably healthy if you play basketball and keep your weight stable. But um, it's probably not extremely unhealthy. Yeah, you can make it a bit
0: healthier by doing stuff like playing a bit of basketball and working on your cardiovascular fitness, which is missing yeah. typically from your, your resistance training workouts. Adam, how are you for time right now? Are you good? Or...
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, thank you. Um,
0: so just a few quick fire questions. You already have a post about how to get bigger arms, but uh, I'll let you explain a little bit about it. Um, how do you get bigger arms? Everyone wants, every every guy wants bigger arms. And also just, uh, you know, calves are just lagging body parts. What's your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, I think uh, one thing that I actually heard, uh, I used to have a gym with, a, I used to own a gym a few years ago. And the guy used to say, if you want to gain one inch in your arms, you have to gain 20 pounds of muscle uh, all over your body, which uh, it does like, at the time, I thought that made sense. I thought oh, it sounds like some sort of Charles Polyquin thing that somebody would say. But yeah, that, that's obviously not true because uh, if you, you can still gain 20 pounds of muscle and then you know gain pretty much nothing on your arms if you don't train them. But I think the most important thing is, well, one, if it's a lagging body part, and again, go back to Alberto Nunez, because I asked him after my last show, he was there in the crowd. Uh, this is in New York. Um, I was like, what do I, you know, what do you think I need to do? And he's probably like, well, you probably need, big big, bigger arms and you send well you know your your weak point is never going to be a strong point so like if it's a weak point genetically then it's it's never going to be a uh, necessarily a strong point um but i think that the first thing is making sure that you're doing the form correctly especially with the likes of arms so um you know a lot of people can the form can just be all over the shop where you'll see it in the gym all the time people just going way too heavy um, and you know, other muscle groups take over the arms aren't really getting hit properly. I think hitting them from multiple, um, multiple kind of uh, multiple exercises from multiple kind of planes is a good idea. So you're training with a bias on the long head and the short head. So in a, a lengthened position, short position, so kind of having a few different exercises, uh, but then trying to just progress on those exercises, not trying to progress too, too fast. And um, like, you know, obviously a 10% increase on a, on a, on an arm curl is, is huge, but the weights might go up, you know, maybe 15%. If you go from a 12 kilo to a 15 kilo, that's a massive jump. Um, so, you know, maybe just adding more reps over time, not really trying to focus too much on, on the adding weight, but maybe just, you know, get honing the form. And um, there's also been some research on actually the mind muscle connection in the upper body, um, where you can actually think about the, training the, the arms i think it doesn't really seem to translate to lower body but actually thinking about the exercise that you're doing i actually like to again think about like a a professional bodybuilder because it's really easy to imagine them doing an exercise because their muscles are so big that you can see or you know watch a video of it and um, whereas like you might look at your arms and like I can barely see my bicep when i flex it so but if you see like uh you know arnold schwarzenegger doing a bicep curl you can really see it how it lengthens and it shortens so kind of thinking about it um, how you how you train that. And, and then for some people, frequency can work. So doing more frequently um, can work well as, as well. Obviously, sometimes more frequently means um, by default more volume. But by by keeping the same meta sets, but actually spreading them out throughout the week, maybe it's because they're more fresh. Um, but also maybe giving it a specific arm day. As well, so there are little things that you perhaps can try, but I think the main thing was probably going to be form making sure your form is good. Um, for calves, I think, um, I think most people just don't train calves enough to be honest, they just do maybe three sets once a week and then say, My calves are small. Um, it's like, well, maybe train them with like uh, you know, 15 sets a week. Um, again, uh, you know, prior the prioritization principle, like focus on it first early, maybe put a rest day before and after. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much it kind of weak points.
0: That makes me think of two things. So one is that I was at, uh, body power, the, the bodybuilding expo in Birmingham and, uh, in the gym afterwards, I was extremely fortunate that all the fitness influencers happened to train after, and I heard about it. So I went there. Right. And Phil Heath is training arms and I'm like, oh my God, Phil Heath, this is amazing. He's on the phone, right? He's like leaned over like this and he's got the dumbbell and he's just curling away. And I'm like, Oh my God, like how the hell is he got such big arms and he's putting such little effort into it kind of goes back to the next point, but he's obviously done the yeah. hard work and all the points that you recommended um, earlier on to get him um, such big yeah. arms. Yeah.
1: Or he could have done none of them and just got it anyway.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think people definitely, they, they, they don't explore all the options like you said you know so for calves they'll say oh I I train calves all the time why aren't they big enough and it's like trying all the things you mentioned like uh, frequency using better form you know people don't use uh, proper technique and even the basics for example I noticed I was wondering like you know I train arms every week why aren't they bigger and it's it's so obvious but like I just wasn't applying progressive overload I wasn't doing more progressively over time and then when I realized that I was like I need to train it more intensely so it can be little things like that that make mm. a big difference over the long term.
1: Um, yeah. So, some other things I just thought of as well that, that have worked for me as well is, is things like uh, static stretching after it, so a loaded stretch. like uh, I think it was originally called uh, like uh, DC stretching, which you'll stretch for like 30 seconds. Um, there, stretching may have an effect on, on hypertrophy. I think there's no harm in, in adding some sort of loaded stretch at the end of a, of a session. Um, and then going back to kind of the gaining thing, it's probably better to be in a surplus. Um, if you are, if you want to get bigger, so, you know, regardless of what body part that is, so kind of these things, and then just, you know, being consistent, but then also realizing that, like I said, if it's going to be, if it's a weak point, it's probably never going to be a strong point as well. So yeah, a bit of awareness helps a lot.
0: Um, then in terms of ab training. Is are abs just like any other muscle and they need to be trained or are they really just made in the kitchen what's the what's the expert opinion on that the bodybuilders opinion
1: yeah i think people should train abs to be honest um i mean for, from a cosmetic point of view um you know even for for uh, even for sports performance you know it's, it's good to have a strong core so to speak um but um but yeah i mean. some people will say you don't need to often they already have good abs and but i i find that most people should train their abs most people don't have the muscle there i think i have have a decent uh, abs just genetically they and they've grown well off just doing compound stuff but but even myself i've actually started to train them maybe three times a week um over the last year i think Uh, i think most people should be training them the same way as you would train a and any other muscle group you know usually a bit higher reps um just for for form reasons but also something that you can really get some sort of uh you know spinal flexion because often people will just um do knee raises and they keep their um they're basically just moving their knee their hips and it's it's really kind of not doing a whole lot for the abs so really trying to curl your back um which is often what you're kind of PT training certs told not to do but like really do the opposite of a back extension and try and just load that over time I think most people should don't really recommend people train obliques just because most people don't want the wider waist um and you know if you get lean enough yeah there's going to be some muscle there that will you know show the obliques but yeah I think I think people definitely should train abs
0: yeah it's it's like any other muscle it needs to be stretched or or lengthened and then contracted yeah um all right adam that was amazing uh, i feel like we could talk all day but uh no, i have to be no met, uh, mindful of your time um is there anything that you want to mention that you're doing any you know projects or anything that's coming up that you want to plug uh
1: no i just i, I guess check out the, the podcast that i do i've been doing a podcast for uh two, over two years now uh planned to get one out every week but uh it ends up being about one every two weeks now uh two weeks just just trying to get guests on is as you know it's difficult to kind of line up calendars and um, and then you, you kind of run out of topics a little bit as well so I'm kind of going to be going back over stuff but yeah it's, a, it's called the health mastery show and I go I speak t- typically to maybe bodybuilders or researchers and try to uh, you know maybe break down stuff into more practical applications so you can check that out on most podcast platforms and YouTube and uh yeah, I, I'm I i do not really do much YouTube didn't put the podcasts up, but I, I will be starting that um starting doing more videos on that as well uh very very soon because I've signed up to I don't know if you've heard of him, Ali Abdal. I sign up to his YouTube part-time YouTube Academy. So uh yeah, it's the the sun cost is gonna really get me on that one. Um so I'll be, I'll be probably trying to put more videos up as well. Um and then you can just check out my Instagram, I guess. Um, I'm doing a little bit more writing as well, actually more so in sports nutrition um for resilient nutrition. They're like an an endurance uh based company that make uh, kind of fitness foods, so to speak, like uh kind of long range fuels. Um just because, you know, down the road, that's the kind of area that I want to end up working in. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. And uh really appreciate really appreciate you having me on, man.
0: Yeah, it's been brilliant to chat to you and your, uh, your content's very evidence-based so you can, you can trust it and the podcast guests you have on are very high quality. I aspire to have something similar. So thanks, uh, thanks for coming on and uh, we'll talk again soon.